Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. We are continuing this morning a sermon series uh, that we started a couple of weeks ago in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is a section of the Bible that you may not be overly familiar with, but it tells the story of God gathering his people uh, back to himself after their exile, rooting them in their city, the city of Jerusalem. And through the ministry of Nehemiah and another man named Ezra, working together to renew and restore them, and then to, through them to build up the walls of the city around them so that they could have a secure and safe place to dwell together with God. And so, if you are uh, willing and able, would you please stand as we read God's Word? Our reading today is Nehemiah 2, 11 through 20. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night, by the valley gate, to the dragon spring, and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate, and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. You know, we've said as we have started looking at Nehemiah uh, that we are looking at one particular chapter in God's story. But through it, we're also looking at a bigger story of what God is doing in the world, right? What, how God's mission is going forward, not just in Nehemiah's day, but in our day as well. How does the mission of God move forward in the world? How does God work out his redeeming and renewing work in all of the cities of the world? Well, that really is what our passage today is all about, how God works to rebuild broken people in a broken world. I'm going to read uh, one of the more important 
sections of prophecy uh, in the Old Testament from Isaiah chapter 61, first four verses. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that, they may be, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the prophet Isaiah looking forward from uh, Israel's exile in Babylon, looking forward to a day when God would rescue them, when he would announce good news to the poor, freedom to the captives, that he would gather them back to himself, root them, plant them so they could grow strong and secure, and that then they would be the ones who join him in building up what's ruined, building up what's been devastated uh, by sin and the fall. A prophecy like this one, almost certainly, this prophecy and others that sound a lot like it, would have been in the minds and in the memory and in the hearts of these early returnees to Jerusalem that Nehemiah met in our chapter. When he said to them, come, let's rise and build, let's build together, they would have, knowing this story, knowing this prophecy, would have said, yeah, this is what God is doing, right? He's gathering captives back to himself. He's announcing good news to poor folks like us. He's planted us here in this place, and now he's calling us to a vocation, to a calling of building together with him a new place. How does God's mission in the world go forward? Well, you could do a lot worse than verse 20 of Nehemiah 2 as a summary. The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. Right? The way God's mission goes forward is that he raises broken people to rebuild a broken world. He raises broken people to rebuild a broken world. Right? Isaiah 61 was also certainly uh, on the mind of Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, when he stood up in a synagogue in Nazareth, and he opened up the scroll to that very chapter and read those words, and then said, today these words are fulfilled in your hearing, and sat down. Jesus would have us understand his work in the world, uh, in these Isaiah 61 terms, that he came to raise a broken people, that they might rebuild a broken world. It's the story that's been told over and over again in the life of Jesus and the ministry of the church. We see it in the book of Acts. We've seen it over 2,000 years of church history. It's what uh, gave what we did this morning its poignant beauty, right? When we received uh, these ladies into the membership of the church, we participated not in a standalone event, but in an ongoing story that God has been telling of the restoration of broken people, raising them to new life in order to enlist them in the project of rebuilding the world, rebuilding broken places and ministering his gospel uh, to the places where he's called them. This is what God does, and it's what he's doing in us. It's what we're called to as a church. 
It's what he's doing even today around the world. It's the story that's told in Nehemiah. It's the story, of course, that's told supremely in Jesus Christ. But let's look at this chapter 2 of Nehemiah, these verses that we read, and see how God in these chapters lays out his paradigm, his way of raising broken people to rebuild a broken world. First, God works to raise a broken people. You know, Nehemiah comes uh, to Jerusalem with a mission. When we met him, he was living uh, a relatively secure and happy life as a confidant of the king of Persia, one of the most powerful people in the world. And then he asked to be sent to Jerusalem to carry out this particular mission, to help the people uh, in their, what's to- what we're told earlier is a state of trouble and shame. This place of vulnerability and weakness that they were in, living among hostile peoples with no walls to protect them. And so God sends Nehemiah for this work. The first thing that we see God doing in raising up this broken people, uh, same as the way that he raises us up, is that God sees us in our trouble. God sees us in our trouble just as surely as he saw these ancient inhabitants of Jerusalem in their trouble. In verse 17, Nehemiah says to them, You see the trouble that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Nehemiah, uh, given this calling by God, is having to help the people to see the trouble that they're in. But God has already seen the trouble. right? God obviously saw it because he called Nehemiah. He gave him this calling to go and be a part of this. And so God was more aware of the trouble that the inhabitants of Jerusalem were in than they were themselves, right? God saw their trouble when they were still blind to it. God saw their trouble and needed to bring it to their attention through Nehemiah. God sees us in our desperate condition, right? Just as he saw Hagar, uh, the mother of Ishmael, weeping in the desert, waiting for her own death. And he appeared to her and she said, you are the God who sees me. He sees her. He sees us in our trouble. He sees us in our heartbreak. He sees us in our sin. He sees us even more clearly than we see ourselves. And so Nehemiah calls them that they would also see the trouble that they are in. Do you see the trouble that we're in? Friends, the first step of the gospel The first act of the gospel always involves admitting the trouble that we're in. Admitting the fact that we are in a trouble far deeper than we had ever imagined ourselves to be in. If you look at Jesus' life and ministry, so much of it consists of trying to convince people that they're in trouble who don't believe that they're in trouble. Right? So much of it consists in trying to convince uh, the the Pharisees and the self-righteous of Israel that just correcting their behavior, keeping the law, doing the right things, was not sufficient, not deep enough to acknowledge the true trouble that they found themselves in. That their trouble was a whole lot deeper and a whole lot worse than simply the captivity of the Romans, than simply them occasionally doing immoral things. That their trouble went heart deep, that it was a trouble of heart, a trouble of character, the trouble of sin. And so Jesus uh, always invites us to say, see, look at the trouble that we are in. And he helps us to name it. You know, some of us are in a place where we are needing to admit the trouble 
that we find ourselves in, right? And this is never a pleasant process for us, right? We would far prefer to go on with our lives admit, uh, believing that our problems are relatively simple, that with enough hard work, with enough dedication, with enough learning, that we can get over our troubles. And yet Jesus is inviting us to see the trouble that we're in. And some of us are in a place where we're having to name the trouble that we're in. Sin that had remained hidden in private addiction now gets exposed. A spouse comes to you and says, I just can't keep on going this way anymore. Right? Or finally you get up the courage to admit to your brothers and sisters the trouble that you're in. And what had felt hidden now feels exposed. And friends, that is precisely in the place where Jesus meets us. Right? In Christ, there's no more dangerous place to be than hidden and pretending that our trouble isn't that bad. And there is no more hopeful place to be than up to our necks in trouble. In calling out to Jesus, saying, I am without hope. What did these new members just say? I am without hope except in your sovereign mercy. If not for a mercy deeper and a power greater than anything I can do, I have no hope. So God sees their trouble, and then God sends his messenger. He sends his servant, Nehemiah, to go and to rescue them. Of course, Nehemiah, uh, in this way, is only a figure who points us ahead to the ultimate one that God sends to us in our trouble. That God sends his only son. God sends Jesus for us when we are in the midst of our trouble. Jesus tells us uh, that he has not come for the healthy, but for the sick. Right? That it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the, sin, it's not the righteous who need forgiving, uh, but the sinner. And so when we admit our trouble, we find that God has already sent us his rescuer. He has already sent us the one that we need in our moment of, of desperation. And so I love this part of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah sent on this mission. We're going to learn over the course of this book that Nehemiah is a man of action. Nehemiah is a man who gets things done. And yet when he gets into Jerusalem, he does exactly nothing for three days. He sets up shop, he makes his home there, and then he goes out one night and he goes around the city inspecting the walls, seeing just how deep the damage goes around the city of Jerusalem. Because Nehemiah, this man of action, has to identify himself with the brokenness of the city in such a way that he's not just taking other people's words for it. Right? He's not just taking the words of others to say, I've heard that the city is in bad shape. I've heard that the walls are broken down. But he sees it and he touches it. He rides all around it. He gets to know it so well that by the time he comes with his plan to the people of Jerusalem, notice what he says. He's identified with it enough that he can say, you see the trouble that we are in. You see the trouble that we are in. Right? What feels better? Here's the trouble that we are in, or look at the trouble that y'all are in, right? Our lives are full of people who love to point out from the outside what's wrong with us, right? Have you ever had somebody come up and say, you know what the problem with you is, <laughs> right? You know what you need to work on, right? Christians, our, our, our witness is so often compromised when we begin our conversation in the second person. You see the problem that y'all are having out there. 
Right? You see the problems of the culture, you see the problems of the world, but, but sin is a you guys problem. It's a y'all problem. And quite frankly, the world is tired of hearing Christians point out the problem with all y'all. But what, what gains traction is that Christian witness always begins in the first person. This is the trouble that we are in. Right? This, is the, this is the place where we find ourselves. Real Christian witness begins as we own the brokenness of this world, when we identify with the pain and heartbreak of our neighbors. When we stop saying, you know what the problem with those poor folks is? They need to work harder, they need to save more, they need to do better. And begins when we say, this is the problem of us. This is our problem that we are in together, and we touch it, and we taste it, and we feel it, and we know in our bones that it's ours, not y'all's. In Nehemiah's ministry here, uh, we see, I think, a foreshadowing of the incarnation. Right? Nehemiah certainly could have stayed in the halls of the Persian court and said, I'm sorry that all y'all in Jerusalem are having these problems. I'll send money. Or I'll, I'll send a building plan and y'all get to work. But instead, he wraps his arms around it till he can say, this is the problem we are in. So too, Jesus could have stayed at the right hand of his Father in heaven and said, I'm sorry that y'all are having these problems with sin and brokenness and pain and guilt. And here's some, here's some tips for getting over them. Try harder, obey the law, do better. But instead, Jesus so identifies with broken humanity that he can speak of us in a we. That he became our older brother. One who the author of Hebrews tells us was tempted in every way just as we are. One who so identifies himself with broken humanity that he cannot say we about sin, right? Jesus can't say we are guilty of sin. But he can so make our problem his problem that he takes all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of our guilt and shame onto himself in order to make atonement between us and God, to bring us back to the Father to raise a broken people in a way that Nehemiah can only hint at, in a way that Nehemiah can only foreshadow, Jesus does in his substance in raising up a broken people and in calling us to join him in rebuilding a broken world. The second thing we're going to look at is our calling. Our condition is our brokenness. Our calling is to rebuild a broken world. You know, we saw when we were looking at Revelation uh, during Advent, what Jesus is doing right now, right? Revelation 21, Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new, right? Jesus is about the business of renewing the entire world, of rebuilding all that's broken. And he calls us to join him in the work of that rebuilding, of mending every broken bit of this world. What a beautiful thing. Right? Nehemiah does the same thing with the people here. He doesn't come in and solve their problem. He doesn't come in and, and begin working just himself to rebuild. He calls them and says, come, let's rise and build. Let's build together. And what an incredible touch of grace that Jesus calls us to join him in his renewal of the world. Right? Jesus, unlike Nehemiah, could have just snapped his fingers. And sometimes we wish he would, right? He would just snap his fingers and everything broke and get made whole again. But instead, he says, come and join me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But now you, therefore, go 
and make disciples. Right? He, jo- he calls us to join him in his rebuilding work. What incredible dignity and grace he gives to us. That he not only renews our broken lives and raises us, but then he calls us to his building work. He calls us to rise up out of our shame to join him in his work. Look at the way Nehemiah uh, depicts the problem here. He says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Earlier in Nehemiah 1, he'd identified the problem as being one of trouble and shame. Right? There was trouble because they could have been victimized by their neighbors. But here he focuses only on their shame. Let's no longer suffer derision or shame. Right? We are called to be the city on a hill, the city of the great king, the light to the nations. And here we are, an object of shame and scorn, a laughing stock. And he calls them to move beyond their shame, to join him and to join God in rebuilding what's broken. Friends, shame keeps so many of us from facing the world with hope and believing that we offer some type of contribution to God's work in the world. Right, shame takes and twists something that's true. Right? It's true of us that we are small, that we are weak, that we are flawed and sinful and incapable. Right? That is, that is true of us. But what shame does is it twists that to say, you are too small, and you are too weak, and you are uniquely sinful, and you are uniquely incapable. And so please stay in hiding in a dark corner somewhere. And don't risk engaging with the world for fear of failure, for fear of exposure, for fear if I really try, if I really believe that I offer something into God's kingdom work, that I'm going to be exposed as a fraud or too weak, too sinful, too deeply broken. Shame keeps us hiding our gifts instead of offering them with the rest of God's people and the building up of his kingdom. And so the people of Jerusalem have to be called out of their shame. They have to be called to rise up, believe that you can do this, that with God on your side, with the hand of God blessing your work, that you do make a meaningful contribution to the building project that is the kingdom of God. Remember verse 20, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Right? It's God's work. It's his hand. He's the one who moves. He's the one who goes first. It's his grace. And we, his servants, will rise and build. As small, as weak, as shameful, as broken, and as sinful as we are, God calls us to rise and build. Calls us as an army of the broken to join him in his rebuilding work. God has no other workforce uh, but us to join him in his work. Right? There's not a better group of people about to come along, a group of more skilled builders. Uh, that he's about to call to come and build his kingdom. It's you and me, broken and flawed, uh, though we are, to rise and to build with him. One of my favorite people uh, in our uh, little corner of the body of Christ in the Presbyterian church uh, is a unique character, a man named Ray Kanata, uh, pastors in New Orleans, Louisiana. Ray's uh, become a good friend of mine, and he is a Elvis impersonating pastor. He is a crazy person. Uh, But he was in a unique fit for New Orleans. Uh, 
He was called to New Orleans the, the, the day that he was supposed to go for his final interview weekend at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Uh, it was the weekend after Katrina hit. And so they had to uh, obviously cancel that interview weekend. Uh, they called him back a few weeks later after uh, they got power and were able to, to say, look, I don't know if you're still interested in becoming our, our pastor. Uh, most of the people have left. Uh, what was a growing church is now largely in Houston and Baton Rouge and scattered across uh, the southeast. But if you still want to come, uh, you can come and be our pastor. Ray went there and was able uh, to gather the exiles, to gather the people who had left and some that, were, that had moved in to help. And some just did this disparate group. It really became a replant of a church. And they spent, uh, I forget how many years it was exactly, about seven or eight years uh, they became not only a church, but also a relief organization. Every summer they would host, and, and on weekends and holidays, they would host uh, groups from churches much like ours who would come in and help them do basic home renovation. Something like 85 or 90% of the houses in New Orleans had some level of water damage from Katrina. And so they had years and years of being able to put these uh, church teams to work doing this, and they did so for seven or eight years. As they became a part of the city uh, and became a part of uh, helping the city rebuild, they rebuilt their church, a renewed people, a raised people, as a part of rebuilding a broken city. Ray told me a story a couple years ago of one of his neighbors and a member of their church who threw a party every single week. Uh, she would invite a random group of neighbors over to her house to, to throw a party, and it'd be a grab bag of different people, and he was there one night. And regularly in this group of some, some church neighbors, some, some neighbors who weren't a part of their church, they'd have this party. And a regular guest at the party was a woman named Marguerite, uh, who was known to most of the neighbors as the cat lady. <clears throat> I cannot imagine a worse existence. Uh, she lived uh, in her home with dozens upon dozens of little cats. Uh, she was a neighborhood, uh, a neighborhood, a neighborhood recluse, uh, relatively isolated, and she would come to the party, she would get a drink, and she'd stand in a corner, hardly talking to anyone. And then one night at one of these parties, somebody sat down at a piano and started to play. And Ray noticed Marguerite first off in the corner, mouthing the words to a song that she knew. And then eventually starting to sing a little more loudly, and actually come kind of over to the piano where this woman sang. This is what Ray wrote about the occasion. It was such a surprising and sweet moment. Wanting to affirm her in this, I jumped up and put my arm around her and to provide support. A couple of others joined us in singing, and I realized that this is what the kingdom of God looks like. A pastor and a cat lady. A recently baptized Jewish musician, a right-wing FBI agent, an artist girl covered in body piercings, all joined together in celebration. Someone has commented, how do we know when the kingdom of God is coming? We know when the cat lady sings. <laughs> and friends, that is a, a picture of the kingdom of God. Each one of us crazy in our own way. Each one of us broken. Each one of us hardly belonging together. Nobody would have thought we make a family. Singing together as Jesus raises us from death to life. And then joining him at the feast. Joining him at his work in rebuilding a broken world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the family 
that you are building here at Christ Church in town. I thank you that you have called us uh, to find our place in your song, to find our place to lend our voice to the song that you're singing and the story that you're telling, calling us to pick up our hammer and our axe and to join you in the world that you're building. Lord, I pray that we would, as we rise from death to life, that we would come out of our shame, out of that thing that tells us that we don't have much to offer, and that we would join your work, your church, offering our small and weak hands to the great hands of our Savior, who is taking every broken bit of this world in his hands and making it new. Lord, in our place, in our neighborhood, in our city, Lord, we pray that we would see your renewing work in us and through us as we join in your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.